As we begin our sermon this morning, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and I'll read verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And then down in verse 17, we read, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In our recent sermons, we've been studying Jesus the man of faith, which is what we find in these two verses. In verse 17, the writer speaks of the true humanity of Jesus, that he was made like his brethren in all things, in all of our human weakness, our limitations and frailties, so that he might live in this world as we do, and he might pass through all of our troubles all of our trials and our sorrows, and he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without any sin. And then back in the beginning of verse 13, the writer tells us of the words of Christ before he came into the world that he said to his heavenly Father that he would live a life of faith. I will put my trust in him. This is the kind of life that he would live, a life of trust, dependence, and faith in his heavenly Father and in all the promises of God to him. Having been made like us in all things, he would live like us in all things, faith included, trusting in the promises of God, believing every word that the heavenly Father had spoken to him in Old Testament Scripture. Everything pertaining to the life of faith pertains to the life of Christ as well. And we've seen this in our study so far at different stages of Jesus' life. Jesus, the man of faith, first from the time of his infancy and then into the time of his public ministry. And then we've seen Jesus, the man of faith, in his death upon the cross. This morning, we backtrack a little because there is another great passage of Scripture where we would want to see Jesus, the man of faith, and that is in the Upper Room Discourse in John's Gospel, chapter 13 and following. And in that great discourse on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus, knowing that the hour of death had come, we will see the great confidence and trust of Jesus by faith in the promises of his heavenly Father. I will put my trust in him, he said. I will put my trust in his word. I will put my trust in who he is revealed to be in holy scriptures. And I will, by faith, rest myself upon his promises. In all the temptations of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the powers of the devil were unleashed against him, and great temptations came upon him. This is what he said. I will put my trust in him. When men opposed him and dangers came upon him. I will put my trust in him. When he came to his last hours. At the last supper and into Gethsemane and to the cross at every point of his life in every time of need and trial. This was the disposition of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in every time of life. I will put my trust in him. Faith must always rest upon the word of God alone. We have no other place where we can go. We have no other source upon which we can rest our faith and entrust our souls than to the word of God. And as it was, as it is with us, so it was with Jesus. His faith as a man could rest only on the promises of God in Scripture. So before we come to the Upper Room Discourse this morning, we need to look at a couple of promises 
which would have been on the heart and soul of Jesus as he came to that Last Supper and upon which he built his own faith upon. And so the first point this morning is the promises of God to Jesus in the Old Testament Scripture. And the first promise, we have two of them we'll look at briefly. The first is found in Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Psalm number 16, I'll read verses 9 through 11. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will, deal, will dwell securely. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We know that these verses were a prophecy of Jesus because they were quoted by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And Peter said there that David wrote these words and he was looking ahead to Christ and his resurrection. And Peter Peter says, because David was a prophet, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. And he quotes these words that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, Peter said, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Jesus is the Holy One spoken of at the end of verse 10. The only Holy One to ever live in this world, the Holy One from heaven, the Holy One of God. And he would have a soul, as is mentioned in the beginning of verse 10, and he would have a body, as is implied at the end of verse 10, and he would undergo death. But when death came, death would have no power over him to bring corruption upon him because it was the promise of the Father in verse 10, for thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. It was impossible for Jesus to be held by the power of death. And his death, which was coming, his death would be followed by a resurrection into eternal life, which is what Verse 11 speaks of, thou wilt, not, thou wilt make me, make known to me the path of life. The path of life, that's resurrection. Resurrection from the dead into eternal life. And then the path of life includes his ascension back into the presence of the heavenly father. Where there is fullness of joy, which is what he says in the next phrase. In thy presence in the presence of my heavenly Father is fullness of joy. And when he returned to his heavenly Father, then he would be seated at his right hand and he would know pleasures forevermore. As he says at the end of verse 11, in thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So this was the promise of God the Father to his beloved Son, that after his death upon the cross, God the Father would raise him from the dead and make known to him that path of life, resurrection, ascension back into his presence to sit at his right hand. And there he would have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In this world, in this world, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he could have no fullness, no fullness of joy in anything in this world. His soul could never be filled with the things of this world. And neither can the soul of any man or woman ever be filled with the things of this world. But when he ascended by the path of life, then he would find fullness, fullness of joy 
in the presence of God in heaven. The pleasures of this world, they are only passing pleasures. And try and fill your soul with the pleasures of this world and you will find your soul to be empty in the end. But in the presence of God, at the right hand of God, there are pleasures that are eternal and lasting forever. Pleasures forevermore would be given to our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this speaks of his resurrection and his ascension to the glory of heaven. There is an important difference between how we read these verses as believers and how Jesus read them as a man in his earthly life. We read them as a prophecy, a prophecy of his resurrection and ascension. He read them as promises, personal promises of the Father to him as the Savior. And as Jesus grew in his knowledge of God, As we see in Luke chapter 2, as a young child, he came to realize God was his heavenly father and he grew in favor and stature and in the wisdom of God from the Old Testament scriptures. And as he came to read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit bore witness to him and shed light upon his mind, and he would come to know that a passage like this was a promise of the Heavenly Father to him as the Savior. And he could rest his faith upon it, that when death came to him in his great work as the Messiah, death would not be the end. I will put my trust in him, my Heavenly Father, the God who cannot lie, He will not abandon my soul. He will not abandon my soul to Sheol. And he will not allow my body to see decay. He will raise me up in the path of life and bring me into his presence and to his right hand with fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. So this was a promise that Jesus would have come to know was given to him as the Savior. Our second promise, we'll look in Matthew chapter 22. In the book of Matthew and chapter 22. We'll read at verse 43 through 45. He, Jesus, said to them, how then, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? In verse 44, Jesus quoted from Psalm 110 and verse 1. And Jesus says here that that verse spoke of him. He applies that verse to himself. It was a promise of God the Father that looked forward to the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. That after he came into the world and he suffered the death of the cross, the Father would raise him from the dead, ascend him back into heaven And the gates of heaven would be opened to receive him. And Jesus would enter into heaven victorious and triumphant over all of the enemies of God. Over sin, death, and Satan. And the saints in heaven, the angels, would rejoice. And as Christ came into the glory of heaven, God the Father would welcome him and give him his right hand of power and glory, and say, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. In verse 44, the Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for your feet. 
The words of the Father to the Son as he returned to heaven, sit on the throne of heaven, you will be a great king. and You will have power to destroy all of your enemies. And then back in Psalm 110 in verses 2 and 3, the following verses read this. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Thy youth are to thee as the dew. And then verse 4 in that psalm speaks of Jesus as a great high priest for his people. And verse 4 is quoted several times in the book of Hebrews. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So that psalm, Psalm 110, spoke of the glory of Christ as king and priest in his kingdom that the Father would give to him. And Jesus knew by faith that those words were spoken of him and were promises of his heavenly Father to him. That's what he is saying on this occasion. Those words of Psalm 110, they speak of me. And they speak of what lies just before me as I return to my Father in heaven. Jesus had just come into Jerusalem here for the last time. And his crucifixion on a cross was just hours before him. But he knew what was after that cross, a resurrection and life and a throne and a kingdom and glory. The father would say to him when he arrived, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. We read it as prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus read it as promises of the Father to him that were to be fulfilled in him, received by faith by him. The same could be said of many Old Testament scriptures. We've looked recently at Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And then we have that well-known passage in Isaiah chapter 53, where first there would be suffering, and then there would be the glory of Christ. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, and then the promise, he will see his offspring he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And then we have Psalm 2, where the father said, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And the father said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. So all of these passages of Old Testament, they were prophecies, but they were promises to Jesus of the Father, to him. Just a few of them we've mentioned here this morning, and his faith rested upon these promises, just as our faith must rest upon the promises that are given to us by God. And so as Jesus came to the end of his life and to the time of his death, he could have great hope and comfort in the promises of God to him. And this is what we see now as we come to our second point this morning, which is Jesus' comfort, Jesus' comfort in the promises of God. We see this in the Upper Room Discourse in John chapter 14. We'll, we'll begin in John chapter 13, rather. John chapter 13. 
John chapter 13 and verse 1. We read in verse 1, John tells us now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus was not surprised by his sufferings. He knew that his hour had come, that he was soon to depart by the death of the cross out of this world. John tells us in the middle of the verse, Jesus knowing, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. And Jesus knew that it would come by the death of the cross. But that death of the cross would be followed by an ascension back into heaven to be with the Father. He was departing out of this world to the Father back in heaven. His death would not be the end of him. His death would not be the ruin of him, the destruction of his life. No, his death would be simply his departure out of this cursed world and into the glory of the presence of God and the fullness of joy and the pleasures forevermore as the Father had promised him in Psalm 16. He will not allow his soul to be abandoned to Sheol and he would not allow his Holy One to undergo decay but the Father would make him to know the way of life, the path of life into the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. John is telling us here of the faith which filled the soul of Jesus on this last night before his crucifixion. No one ever could anticipate a more terrible death than Jesus in the death of the cross. A death under the wrath and the judgment of God for human sin. And yet this was how Jesus looked upon his death in this most comfortable way, in this way of sweet consolation that what his death really was was a departure out of this world out of this world of sin and misery and into the rest and comfort of his heavenly father. Jesus knowing that he should depart out of this world. And notice John says, he does not say to God, but to the father, which speaks of the love and all of the eternal affection of the father for him. How calm and how tranquil was the soul of Jesus at this Last Supper in all the words that he spoke in this discourse. It was by his faith as he trusted in his heavenly Father, I will put my trust in him and in everything that he has said to me in Holy Scripture. We'll turn over to... Chapter 14 and verse 1. <clears throat> Chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus knew the trouble and the fears of his disciples as they heard of his coming departure. They thought that there was nothing worse that could ever come upon them than for the Lord Jesus to leave them. But he sought to comfort them and to relieve their troubled hearts. And so he begins here with these words. He says, let not your heart be troubled. The hearts of Christians are often troubled by so many things in this world. There are so many and so many great troubles that we must face here, that our spirits are so often burdened and overwhelmed by them 
We cannot understand the things that take place. We are perplexed and we become anxious over them. And our tendency is, because of our weakness, to allow our troubles to become so excessive and inordinate that our sorrows crush us. And Jesus would not have this to be so. And so he would have us to strive against such excesses of unbelieving sorrow. And he says to us, let not your heart be troubled. But the question is, how can this be? What is the cure? What is the cure for a troubled heart in the midst of this world with everything that it brings upon us at times? How can we ever find the cure for a troubled heart? The answer is given in the next phrase. It is faith. It is faith in God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. And here is the cure. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He gives a double cure. To believe in God and to believe in him who is equal with God. But he gives no other cure. He gives no other cure than this faith in God because there is no other cure for a troubled heart. Faith must look to God alone. Faith must rest upon him and his word and his promises. He is the only proper object of our faith because he is the one, the only one, who has the power, the wisdom, the love, and the goodness to help us in every time of need. Notice Jesus does not say believe in men and what men can do for you. Because we find ourselves in circumstances so often where men can do nothing for us. They are powerless to help us. He does not say believe in good fortune or believe in karma. There is no hope in those things. He says only believe in God. Believe in him alone. And he means believe in everything that the Bible says about him. Believe in the greatness of God. That there is no other being like him. The only true and living God. Believe in the power of God. The omnipotence of God to do all things that he pleases. Believe in the love and the mercy of God. Believe in the kindness and the generosity of God. Believe in the wisdom of God to do all things. He is the God of wonders. He is the God who does great and marvelous things that are past our finding out, that we can never discover, that we can never anticipate. Believe in this great and mighty God. Believe in the God who brought the sons of Israel through the Red Sea as if on dry land. Believe in the God who rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace and Daniel out of the lion's den. Believe in this God. Jesus said, believe in God. He meant believe in the God that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When Paul said, we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's who we believe in here. Believe in the God who raises the dead. That's the God that Abraham believed in. And that's the God that Paul still believed in. And he said, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Jesus told his disciples to believe in God because he himself was believing in God at this time.
He was coming to the hour of his death, and he was still saying, I will put my trust in him. I will have faith in his word, and I know that my heavenly Father will fulfill every word of promise to me. And by faith, the soul of Jesus was filled with great comfort and peace throughout this night. And he could speak so many gracious promises to his disciples. This is why he could say in verse 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you so, for I go. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew where he was going. He was going to his heavenly Father. And when he arrived in his heavenly Father's glory, he would prepare, he would begin to prepare the mansions, the houses for his disciples. He would return again to receive them to himself. We look at a couple other verses here in this upper room, here in John 14, down in verse 27. Jesus said, Verse 27, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. True peace comes only from Jesus. True peace can never come from the world. My peace, my peace, he says, I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. His peace, he says, my peace, the peace that belongs to me, the peace that I know, the peace that I experience, that peace I will give to you. And we do not need his continuing presence with us to have this peace because he says in the beginning of the verse, peace I leave with you. He is leaving. He is leaving in his bodily presence. He is ascending back into heaven, but he says, my peace I will still send to you, and that is what I will leave behind for you. We can turn over to John chapter 15 and verse 11. John chapter 15 and verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So here Jesus speaks of joy. He says, my joy. When Jesus speaks here of my joy, he is really speaking of that joy from Psalm 16 and verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And so Jesus anticipates his ascension when he returns back to the heavenly father. He will have that fullness of joy and he will send down by the Holy Spirit that joy to his disciples. And it will be a joy that is in our souls. My joy will be in you, inward, in your souls, that your joy may be made full. It is the same joy that Peter speaks of when he speaks of you will greatly, Peter says, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is the joy of Jesus as he is in glory. He sends it to his disciples. It is full of joy and full of glory. But then we see in verse 13 that Jesus now speaks of his love. He says, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. There has never been and there shall never be greater love than what I have for you, he says, in the laying down of my life for your salvation. We know love by this, John says, that he laid down his life for us, so he speaks of his great love for his disciples. But then we turn to one more verse in chapter 16 and verse 33. Chapter 16 and verse 33. And Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome 
the world. In the world, we have tribulation from all the trials and troubles that we must experience here. But as we pass through those tribulations, we can also know the peace of Christ still given to us. The tribulations of this world and the peace of Christ can come together, and they are together in the life, in the heart, in the soul of a Christian. As we pass through tribulations, we still know the peace of Jesus that he gives to us. And then he says at the end of the verse that we should take courage. And he says, I have overcome the world. He speaks of his triumph over all the devil and sin and the powers of this present evil world. He speaks of his great victory. I have overcome and conquered this world. And so he goes on in chapter 17 and he continues to speak of his return to his heavenly father throughout that prayer. And so what we have in this upper room, Jesus speaks time and time again words of comfort to his disciples. He speaks of my peace. He speaks of my joy. He speaks of my love. He speaks of my victory. And all of these things he is giving freely to his disciples. But how can Jesus speak such things? He is a man about to hang upon a cross. In the terrible death of a crucifixion. How can he speak of peace? And joy and love and victory when he is about to suffer such things. The only answer is that he was believing in God and he had faith in all the promises of his heavenly father to him. That is the only way that Jesus as a man knew the peace, the joy, the comfort, the victory that he spoke of in this passage. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith looks beyond present troubles to the hope of the fulfillment of God's promises. Faith sees through the darkness to the light and the deliverance that God has promised. Faith sees things that cannot be seen with the human eyes. And this is what Jesus had on this night, the eve of his crucifixion. He was looking beyond his death by the promises of God to that resurrection, to that ascension back into heaven, that life and a kingdom and a glory, assurance of the things that he hoped for, the conviction of things he had never seen as a man, but now he would by the promises of God. And so this is how he had such optimism. You read through this upper room discourse and though he mentions his coming sufferings, he simply really is just passing over them. And the discourse is filled with this optimism, this hope and this confidence. And so he is able to speak such words of comfort, peace, love, joy to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled, he says. Believe in this God and believe also in me. Now one cannot comfort another unless he himself is comforted. And Jesus could only comfort his disciples by the comfort with which he was comforted. And he was comforted by his faith and his confidence in the promises of God. Believe in God, he says. And he himself would not tell us to do something that he was not doing himself. He was believing. And throughout this Last Supper, he was putting his trust in his heavenly Father. And out of that confidence of his father's words, he was able to speak such blessing and encouragement 
to his disciples. Now, there is a verse that I want us to turn to. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 14. For a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 14. And I don't usually do this, but I read this verse yesterday morning in my, in my own Bible reading, and I thought it was a wonderful thought, and so it fits in this sermon this morning as well. Second Samuel chapter 14 and verse 14, and we want to look at the second half of the verse, where we read, Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one may not, may not be cast out from him. The circumstances here were that David's son Absalom had been banished from Jerusalem. And this woman came to King David and persuaded him, sought to persuade him to receive Absalom back. And she argues here from the character of God in the second half of this verse and what she means here is that he is not a God who deliberately brings harm or takes away one's life. But he is a God who plans ways to do good. And that was the case in bringing back the banished one. The circumstances here are not so important. The truth about the character of God really is. I want to focus on those two little words at the end of the verse, he is the God who, who plans ways. He plans ways, or some Bibles might read, he devises means. This is the kind of God that he is. That he is a God who plans ways to do good. He is a God who devises means to bring about blessing. This is his desire and so what he does is he plans. He plans ways. Not to bring about evil, but to bring about good. It is the same promise as in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And so we can imagine the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as they take their counsel together. With infinite wisdom, they plan ways to bring about blessing and good upon their people. And they have infinite power to accomplish all of their will. And they have love and they have goodness to bring it to pass. He is the God who plans ways to do good and bring blessing and a future and a hope to his people. This is what Jesus is speaking of in John chapter 14 and verse 1 where he says, believe in God. He means believe, believe in this God who plans ways to do good. We turn back to that passage in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God. Believe in the God who plans marvelous ways to bring about good and blessing to his people. The devil is planning my death upon the cross, he would say. The scribes and the Pharisees, they are planning to destroy me. But my heavenly father, my heavenly father is the God who has plans, who plans ways to bring about good. And look at the great good that my heavenly father has planned for me. A resurrection from the dead, an ascension back into his presence in heaven where I will have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. My heavenly father plans ways to bring about great good. My death is not the end of me. 
And it will not be the end of you either, he says. My death is the entrance into glory, and it will be so with you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in this great God. You are my disciples, he might say to them. And here you are, you are so filled with grief and sorrow over my departure. You think that everything is against you? You think that only evil can come upon you? Do you not know that my heavenly Father is the God who finds ways and plans ways to bring about blessing? And everything that he has given to me, I will give to you. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I go there to prepare a place for you, and then I will return and bring you to be where I am. I give you my peace. I give you my joy. I give you my love. And I give you my great victory. And you are overwhelmingly conquerors through me who loves you. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Believe in this great and mighty God. The devil always has his plans against the church. And men are always devising their evil ways against God's people. But the God of heaven is always planning his ways to bring his salvation and his blessings upon us. However great our troubles may be in this life, this God is greater than all our troubles. He is the God who turns darkness into light. He is the God who turns mourning into gladness. And he is the God who turns evil into good. This is the kind of God that he is, Jesus says. Let not your heart be troubled. How can your heart be troubled? Believe in this God, the only cure for our troubled hearts. The last thing we say this morning briefly is that we want to look, consider our confidence in the promises of God. We've seen Jesus' confidence in the promises of God. We want to consider our own promise, our own confidence in the promises of God. God was the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he has become our Heavenly Father as well through Christ by adoption. We are his children, his sons and daughters on earth. He gave great promises to his beloved Son in the Scriptures, and he has given great promises to us as well. And just as Jesus trusted in the promises of his heavenly father, so we must trust in the promises of God as well. We have promises of perseverance, promises of safety in the Christian life. God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. The Bible says, I have confidence, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. You are protected by the power of God through faith. Jesus said, my father is greater than all. No one is able to snatch you out of his hands. Paul said, no created thing shall ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God of grace, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We have all these promises of our safety in the Christian life. And Jesus here gives us at the end a most comfortable view of death. And we may follow him in it because we are united to him by faith. And no matter how terrible that great enemy of death may seem to be to us. Death has no power. Death has no power whatsoever because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ over us who believe. What is death 
It is what John tells us it is. It is our departure out of this world to the Father in heaven. That's why Jesus says in verse 28 of this chapter, he says, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. He says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. And for the Father is greater than all. There is joy when a saint goes to the Father in heaven. Just as Jesus had promises of where he would go, so do we. To live as Christ, to die is gain, for it is to depart and be with Christ, and it is very much better. And Paul could write to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. He says, for we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Do we have any doubt that the promises given to Jesus have been fulfilled and he is in the presence of God this morning? We have no doubt. And so neither can we have any doubt that the promises for us will be fulfilled just as they were with him. Jesus knew what he would hear when he ascended back into heaven. His heavenly father would say to him, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. We know the voice that we will hear when we ascend into heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. The pioneer of faith, Jesus, has gone before us. And he has made the way. And he has made it most comfortable. And he has made it most sweet for us. And so we should live in this faith. And trust in God as he did. And have joy and peace and know the victory that we have in him let not your heart be troubled believe in God believe also in Jesus let's pray together father and gracious God in heaven Thank you for the glorious work of your beloved son. As he became a man and lived that perfect life, a life of faith, a life of complete dependence and trust in you for all things. And we thank you that he has gone before us as the great pioneer of faith. We ask you to bless your word to us this morning. Increase our faith and take away those many things that trouble us so easily and give us the rest and the peace that we may know in believing in you. Lord, hear us and help us now and bless the hours of this Lord's day that are before us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.